Chapter Six of Our Army at the Front. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matt Mark Graff. Our Army at the Front by Haywood Brown. Chapter Six. Getting their stride. That part of France which became America in July 1917 was of about the shape of a long-handled tennis racket. The broad oval was lying just behind the fighting lines. The handle reached back to the sea. Then to the ruin of the simile, the artillery schools, the aviation fields, and the base hospitals made excrescences on the handle so that an apter symbol would be a large and unshapely string of beads but france lends itself to pretty exact plotting out there are no lakes or mountains to dodge nor particularly big cities to edge over to in the main the organizing staffs of the two nations could draw lines from the coast to the battlefields and say between these two shall america have her habitation and her name the infantry trained in the vosges the artillery ranges were next behind and then the aviation grounds the hospitals were placed everywhere along the lines from field bases to those far in the rear and because neither french train service nor franco-american motor service could bear the giant burden of man and supply transportation the first job to which the engineer and labor units were assigned was laying roadbeds across france for a four-track railroad within the american lines in those days america did not look forward to the emergency which was to brigade her troops with french or british under allied generalissimo foch her plans were to put in a force which should be as the english say of their flats self-contained if this arrangement had a fault it was that it was too leisurely it was certainly not lacking on the side of magnificence either in concept or carrying out the scheme of bringing not only army but base of supplies both proportionate to a nation of a hundred million people was necessarily begun from the ground up the american army built railroads and warehouses as a matter of course it laid out training camps for the various arms of the service on an unheard-of scale as it happens the original american plan was changed by the force of circumstances much of the american manpower eventually was brigaded with the british and french and went through the british and french soldier-making mills but the territory marked america still remains america and the excellent showing made by the war department in shipping men during the spring and early summer of nineteen eighteen furnished a supply of soldiers sufficient to make allotments to the allies directly and at the same time preserve a considerable force as a distinctly american army it is possible that the fastest method of preparation possible might have been to brigade with the allies from the beginning but it would have been difficult to induce america to accept such a plan if it had not been for the emergency created by the great german drive of the spring of nineteen eighteen american engineers were both building railroads and running them from july on the hospital units were installed even earlier the first work of an army comes behind the lines and a large proportion of the early arrivals of the aef were non-fighting units at that there was no satisfying the early demands for labor as late as mid-august general pershing was still doing the military equivalent of tearing his hair for more labor units and stevedores a small number of negroes employed as civilian stevedores came with the first division but they could not begin to fill the needs 
Later, all the stevedores were sent regularly enlisted members of the army. While the great undertaking was still on paper and the tips of tongues, the infantry was beginning its hard lessons in the Vosges. The first division was made up of something less than 50% of experienced soldiers, although it was a regular army division. The leaven of learning was too scant. The rookies were all potentiality. The training was done with French soldiers and for the first little while under French officers. A division of Chasseur Alpines was withdrawn from the lines to act as instructors for the Americans, and for two months the armies worked side by side. You will have the honor, so the French order read, of spending your permission in training to the American troops. This might not seem like the pleasantest of all possible vacations for men from the line, but the Chasseur seemed to take it readily enough. These Chasseur Alpines, the Blue Devils, were the finest troops the French had, and if they were to give their American guests some sound instruction later on, they were to give them the surprise of their lives first. The French officer is the most dazzling sight alive, but the French soldier is not. Five feet of height is regarded as an abundance. He got his name of Poilu not so much from his beard as from his perpetual little black mustache. The doughboys called him Froggy, with ever so definite a sense of condescension. Yes, they look like nothing, but you try following them for half a day, said an American officer of the Poilu. They have a short, choppy stride, far different to the gingling gait of the American soldier. The observer who looks them over and decides they would be piffling on the march forgets to see that they have the width of an opera singer under the arms and that they no more get winded on their terrific sprints than Caruso does on his high seas. And after they had done some stunts with lifting guns by the bayonet tip and had heaved bombs by the afternoon, the doughboys called in their old opinions and got some new ones. All sorts of things were helping along the international liking and respect, the prowess of the French soldiers was one of the most important, but the soldiers' interpretation of Pershing's first general order to the troops was another. This order ran, For the first time in history, an American army finds itself in European territory. The good name of the United States of America and the maintenance of cordial relations require the perfect deportment of each member of this command. It is of the gravest importance that the soldiers of the American army shall at all times treat the French people and especially the women, with the greatest courtesy and consideration. The valiant deeds of the French army and the allies, by which together they have successfully maintained the common cause for three years, and the sacrifices of the civil population of France in support of their armies command our profound respect. This can be best expressed on the part of our forces by uniform courtesies to all the French people, and by the faithful observance of their laws and customs. The intense cultivation of the soil in France, under conditions caused by war, makes it necessary that extreme care should be taken to do no damage to private property. The entire French manhood capable of bearing arms is in the field fighting the enemy, and it should, therefore, be a point of honor to each member of the American army to avoid doing the least damage to any property in France. Veteran soldiers take a general order as a general order following it literally. Recruits on a mission such as the First Division's took that first general order as a sort of intimation, on which they were to build their own conceptions of gallantry and goodwill. Not only did they avoid doing damage to French property, they minded the babies, drew the well water, carried faggots, peeled potatoes, 
did anything and everything they found a frenchwoman doing if they had some off time they fed the children from their own mess kept them behind the lines at grenade practice mended their toys and made them new ones these things cemented the international friendliness that the statesmen of the two countries had made so much talk of and by the time the war training was to begin doughboys and blue devils tramped over the long white roads together with nothing more unfriendly left between them than rivalry the first thing they were sent to do was trench digging the vosges boast splendid meadows the americans were told to dig themselves in the method of training with the french was to mark a line where the trench should be put the french at one end and the americans at the other then they were to dig toward each other as if the devil was after them and compare progress when they met trench digging is every army's prize abomination a good hate for the trenches was the first step of the americans toward becoming professional it was said of the canadians early in the war that though they would die in the last ditch they wouldn't dig it no army but the german ever attempted to make its trenches neat and cosy homes but even the hasty gully required by the french seemed an obnoxious burden to the doughboy the first marines who dug a trench with the blue devils found that their picks struck a stone at every other blow and that by the time they had dug deep enough to conceal their length they were almost too exhausted to climb out again the ten days given over to trench digging was not so much because the technique was intricate or the method was difficult to learn they were to break the spirit of the soldiers and hammer down their conviction that they would rather be shot in the open than dig a trench to hide in they were also to keep the aching backs and weary shoulders from getting over stiff toward the end of july the first batch of infantrymen were called off their trenches and were started at bomb practice at first they used dummy bombs the little line of blue devils who were to start the party picked up their bombs swung their arms slowly overhead held them straight from wrist to shoulder and let their bombs sail easily upon a long gentle arc which presently landed them in the practice trenches one two three four they counted and away went the bombs the doughboys laughed it seemed to them a throw fit only for a woman or substitute third baseman in the texas league when their turn came the doughboys showed the blue devils the right way to throw a bomb they lined them out with a ton of energy behind each throw and the bombs went shooting straight through the air level above the trench lines and a distance possibly twice as far as that attained by the frenchmen they stood back waiting for the applause that did not come the objects are two in bomb throwing and you did not make either said the french instructor you must land your bomb in the trenches they do no more harm than wind when they fly straight and you must save your arm so that you can throw all afternoon so the baseball throw was frowned out and the half womanish half cricket throw was brought in after the doughboys had mastered their method they were put to getting somewhere with it they were given trenches first at ten meters distance and then at twenty then there were competitions and war training borrowed some of the fun of a track meet the french had odds on no army has ever equalled them for accuracy of bomb throwing and the doughboys once pried loose from their baseball advantage were not in a position to push the french for their laurels the american army's respect for the french began to have growing pains but with driving hard work the doughboys learned finally to land a dummy bomb so that it didn't disgrace them 
with early august came the live grenades and the first serious defect in the americans natural aptitude for war-making was turned up this defect had the pleasant quality of being sentimentally correct even if sharply reprehensible from the french point of view it was in brief that the soldiers had no sense of danger and resisted all efforts to implant one partly from sheer lack of imagination and training and partly from a scorn of taking to cover the live bombs were hurled from deep trenches aimed not at a point but at a distance any distance so it was safe but once the bombs were thrown every other doughboy would straighten up his trench to see what he had hit faces were nipped time and again by the fragments of flying steel and the french heaped admonitions on admonitions but it was long before the american soldiers would take their war game seriously later in the mass attacks on enemy trenches when they were ordered to duck on the grass to avoid the bullets the doughboys ducked as they were told then popped up at once on one elbow to see what they could see the blue devils training with them lay like prone statues the doughboys looked at them in astonishment and said openly and frequently but there aren't any bullets it was finally from the british who came later as instructors that the doughboys accepted it as gospel that they must be pragmatic about the dangers and act as if then some of the wiseacres at the camp pronounced the conviction that the americans thought the french were melodramatic and by no means to be copied until they found their british first cousins surely above reproach for needless emotionalism were doing the same strange things the state of mind into which allied instructors sought to drive or coax the americans was pinned into a sharp phrase by a far western enlisted man before he left his own country a melancholy relative had said as he departed are you ready to give your life to your country to which the soldier answered you bet your neck i'm not i'm going to make some german give his life for his this was representative enough of the sentiments of the doughboys but the instructors ran afoul of their deepest convictions when they insisted that this was an art to be learned not a mere preference to be favored after the live bombs came the first lessons in machine-gun fire using the french machine-gun and automatic rifle the soldiers were taught to take both weapons apart and put them together again and then they were ordered to fire them the first trooper to tackle an automatic rifle aimed the little monster from the trenches and opened fire but he found to his discomfiture that he had sprayed the hilltops instead of the range and one of the officers of the blue devils told him he would better be careful or he would be transferred to the anti-aircraft service the veterans of the army however had little trouble with automatic rifle or the machine guns even at first the target was two hundred meters away at the foot of a hill and the first of the sergeants to tackle it made thirty hits out of a possible thirty-four the average for the army fell short of this but the men were kept at it till they were thoroughly proficient one characteristic of all the training of the early days at camp was that both officers and men were being prepared to train later troops in their turn so that many lectures in war theory and science and many demonstrations of both were included there this accounted for much of the additional time required to train the first division but while their own training was unusually long drawn out they were being schooled in the most intensive methods in use in either french or british army it was an unending matter for disgust to the doughboy that it took him so long to learn to hurry end of chapter six recording by matt mark graff